BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. Social media community Reddit has removed close to 2,000 subgroups in an effort to curtail speech it deems as hateful. The subgroups included one dedicated to President Donald Trump. And meanwhile, several advertisers have pulled ads from Facebook as the hashtag Stop Hate for Profit gains traction. We discuss corporate and policy efforts to rein in hate speech online. Then at 10.30, the state's unemployment agency, the EDD, is under fire for long delays in approving claims. We'll talk about what the overwhelmed agency can do to better help out-of-work Californians. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Several social media platforms have removed hate speech and calls to violence from their platforms in recent weeks. Reddit made headlines for eliminating a subgroup dedicated to President Donald Trump, among about 2,000 others that the site said violated its rules. Meanwhile, Facebook has come under sharp criticism for not removing hateful posts from Trump and has lost several advertisers. Companies ranging from Starbucks Corporation to Clorox Company to Ford Motor Company plan to cut social media ad spending in an effort to stop the spread of hate speech. Both business leaders and policymakers need to come together to effect real change, Starbucks stated, and we're going to discuss the role of hate speech on social media and the responsibility of platforms to police it. Joining us, Rachel Myro, Senior Editor of Silicon Valley News Desk of KQED. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Good morning. We'll also say good morning to Mike Isaac, who is joining us, technology reporter for The New York Times, and welcome, Mike Isaac. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to have you as well. And Rachel, let me begin with you, and let's begin by sort of discerning what's going on here with uh, this stop hate uh, speech and a movement that has seemed to uh, stop hate for profit is actually the name of the group that has put about 160 companies, including Verizon and Unilever, uh, stopping buying ads on Facebook. None of the big top 100 advertisers yet, but many others. In fact, uh, I should just mention uh, for factual purposes that this morning we found out that Ford and Adidas and Denny's joined the pack. 
Well, I want to know from you what kind of effect this is having, and are we indeed in the midst of uh, a movement here that's gaining steam and that's accelerating? Well, it's worth pointing out that uh, some of these advertisers may come right back to Facebook and its various properties after July, because this is kind of an effort focused around July. Uh, but it's definitely a shot across the bow, and one that seems to be uh, taken note of by all kinds of social media platforms, not just Facebook. Uh, you could also argue that you know the Black Lives Matter protests have have forced a lot of Silicon Valley company CEOs who have been deaf or tone deaf uh, for years now on the question of hate speech to to finally come round to the idea that uh, if they don't if they don't start to clean up their platforms. Um, that, that somebody else is going to walk in and take away their lunch money. Well, it's not only the advertisers, though. I mean, uh, employees are pushing within these corporations and companies, too, aren't they? They are. We've seen a lot of people uh, speaking out openly despite non-disclosure agreements. We've seen uh, open letters, petitions internally. Uh, but it's interesting to note that uh, some of these most uh, uh, how to describe it, impressive, or, or some of the biggest moves we've seen recently come as we've watched uh, some fairly large advertisers openly pull away from Facebook. Well, let's talk about Facebook with you for a moment, because uh, I know you've been covering the story, and what's been the effect of this? Uh, at one time, uh, Mark Zuckerberg seemed to feel, apparently, that uh, any kind of political ad or ads put out by politicians were sacrosanct. It didn't matter what they had in them. Have we seen a shift here? And the other question I ask you, because it came up in this morning's uh, New York Times, was about a meeting that supposedly took place between Zuckerberg and President Trump and Peter Thiel, and what we know or don't know about that. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting uh, to note that Mark Zuckerberg is taking a lot of specific heat. He's he's at the front of the pack, even though there are a lot of, uh, of Silicon Valley leaders that you could take to task for uh, bizarre hate speech governing rules that are arbitrary, intellectually confused, that change when that particular CEO feels public or political pressure to rethink a particular decision. But because Zuckerberg has put himself out there, you know, with, with public speeches talking about, you know, the importance of free speech and the dangers of, you know, uh, attempting to control political speech, he, he kind of turned himself into a target. Uh, although I would say it's it's a mistake to single out Facebook as unique or particularly egregious uh, when it comes to putting profit in the form of traffic and ad dollars ahead of the health of our democracy. Uh, there are a lot of critics, for instance, of Twitter th that argue that, you know, it, it's not enough to post little um, little signs on a Trump tweet saying, hey, this doesn't meet our standards. So many of Trump's tweets have not met Twitter's professed standards, why don't they just take the account down? Um, you know, and that's just one of a gazillion uh, examples that, that we could mention today. Well, Facebook's taken a lot of heat uh, because I suppose uh, that dinner with President Trump uh, set off a lot of alarm bells in many people's minds in terms of what may have been acquiesced to. Uh, there was concern expressed, uh, well, by employees of Facebook particularly, that Mark Zuckerberg was trying to please or at least trying to pacify or placate uh, conservative forces, which he felt would try to essentially rein him in. Absolutely. And this is just, you know, a, it's an iconic image, a, a 
an iconic idea. Oh my gosh, Zuckerberg meeting with the president, uh, clear, clearly worried uh, about placating uh, the man in power. But you know, it, it's worth noting that all of these companies spend uh, millions of dollars uh, of, of lobbying. Uh, because they're worried about not just Trump, but but uh, GOP leaders uh, in Washington D.C. finding some way to crack down on the company. And it, you know, it, it's worth noting that we see from the political right, you know, claims of uh, you know censorship and, and warnings that you know it won't be allowed to continue. Um, and this has happened in, in recent months, especially with the heat up cut to the election coming in November. So so they're they're is a way in which a lot of decision-making uh, here in Silicon Valley uh, re reflects a concern about how it will be perceived politically and what kind of costs could come politically uh, as a result of making one decision or another. Rachel Myro with us, senior editor of the Silicon Valley News Desk at KQED, and Mike Isaac also with us, technology reporter of the New York Times. And Mike, I'm going to ask you about Reddit because uh, a lot of focus on Facebook, but in the name of free speech, uh, you can remember perhaps that Reddit hosted forums promoting racism against black people and actually openly sexualizing underage children, all in the name of free speech. They've taken some pretty decisive turns in recent years. In fact, maybe even more recently, a hard turn. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, Reddit's been around for about 15 years now, and uh, they basically have stood as like the message board uh, for the entire internet. If you remember the early internet days where you could sort of go on and, and talk to folks uh, on message boards about different topics, and this was all pre-Facebook. Um, and so early on, they were really, you know, they stood for what they thought was just sort of unfettered free speech. We, we host anything and everything and actually make a point to defend even the worst types of, of, of topics on the platform because they felt that strongly about um, issues of speech. That has really changed in recent years. Um, I would say over the past five years, they've had a number of different CEOs um, come in who have really had different views on what speech should, what posts should be allowed on the, the platform. And uh, slowly, initially, it was buttoning up um, and taking down racist uh, subreddits, like different forums that they host called subreddits. And then uh, uh, this week, uh, yesterday, they decided to take down the Donald, which is the largest subreddit devoted to President Trump with some uh, nearly 800,000 uh, Redditors or supporters following that community. So it was probably the biggest stance I've seen uh, throughout Silicon Valley, throughout any company with uh, a platform that has De Donald Trump on it, um, stance taken against that, you know, even more than what Facebook or Twitter or others are willing to do. That and, was the platform, um, excuse me, Mike, wasn't it, that gave us sure. Pizzagate, um, you know, where uh, That's right. Hillary Clinton was supposedly involved in sex trafficking of children and so forth? That's right. I think the um, one of the big criticisms against Reddit is it becomes a, a ground, a fostering ground for these sort of deranged conspiracy theories that end up taking off in the real world. And so it's this, I, I think, I agree with Rachel, it's this moment of reckoning around what, what platforms should be responsible for, uh, what types of content should be allowed or not allowed. And I think they're in active negotiation trying to figure that out for themselves and each of them has a really different take on it. And each of them has a whole different way of policing this or at least trying to come to terms with it too. I think it's safe to say, just back to Reddit for a moment, Mike, uh, there are 2,000 other communities that have been banned by Reddit, uh, and that sounds like a lot, but most of them were inactive, weren't they? That's right. I think um, 
I was told that probably the vast majority of them had maybe 10 users, 10 active users or less. Um, the, the really, there was just a top 10 uh, communities that they banned yesterday. And, uh, I, and on a call with the CEO last week, I was asking, you know, Republicans are going to almost certainly cry sort of censorship, which they have lo lobbied at a lot of these different companies around uh, suppressing conservative voices. But the company has said, but Reddit said, you know, we also ban communities on the far left, including Chapo, this one called Chapo Trap House, which is a leftist podcast. So they're saying we're not targeting any one political group. It's really just anyone who breaks our rules against hate speech. Well, there's been a lot of action out of Silicon Valley, uh, Twitch and uh, YouTube and certainly Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I'd like to have the thoughts of you, our listeners. Have you experienced hateful speech on social media? And how do you think platforms should treat those types of posts? You can call us now, and I invite you to do that. Our toll-free number is available to you. The number to call is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. Or at KQED Forum or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. And questions and comments are pouring in here. Uh, let me go to Ron's uh, question and go to you, Rachel Myro. Ron wants to know, when will Trump's personal account be taken down by Twitter? And what can we as consumers do to punish Jack Dorsey and Twitter if nothing is done? That's a very uh, interesting question. Uh, I, we, one of the things we should mention is that the Donald has popped up uh, now that's been taken down off of Reddit onto a, uh, I don't want to call it less credible, but, you know, more, more uh, Wild West platform called Gab, uh, which we have heard about before because it's been attached to, to gunmen who have uh, taken their hate uh, to the streets. Uh, not not too long ago, uh, so so there's this question, you know, if if um, Facebook or Twitter take Donald down, in one way or another, uh, does he just pop up on these smaller platforms? But they are smaller platforms, and Facebook and Twitter are incredibly influential, and I, I think it says something. Uh, to that effect that we've just recently heard that uh, the Trump campaign's Facebook ad spend hit more than more than $2 million in just one week recently in June, according to Facebook's ad library. And that just speaks to, to the respect for the power and the influence of Facebook, regardless of what Zuckerberg uh, says or regardless of what Dorsey says about Twitter. Um, I suppose, you know, if you're asking what can I do, I would say boycott or delete the app, uh, right? If, if you uh, take true objection to the way it's run, the strongest way you can hit back is collectively by deleting the, the application. Mike Isaac, uh, let me get your response to some comments that are coming in. They seem to sure. follow a certain pattern. I'd like your reaction. Uh, let me read them. Uh, Richard tweets, seems like hate speech is an arbitrary term and standard used to censor conservatives. Michael tweets, America has always had a tradition of robust free speech to the point where we feared only the government would limit it. Unless hate speech represents a crime, I think privately owned forums should not censor it. And Bill says, regulating speech on platforms seems to me like the first step toward regulating what passes through the Internet itself. I don't see the benefit of becoming like China. So there you have three voices coming in here on the side of what they would say is, uh, well, uh, decidedly against any kind of censorship as they see it or First Amendment violations. Your thoughts? Yeah, totally. Uh, look, I, I 
don't want to make it seem like there aren't a lot of people who who believe um, who believe this is the the right thing to do. I think there are just as many folks, especially in the in Silicon Valley, where a lot of sort of libertarian views are are pretty strong. Um, just as many folks who are worried about what it means to start taking down um, taking down types of speech on these platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, uh, and the idea uh, that your listeners were getting at is, you know, it's a slippery slope. Um, once you start doing this, what is to what is to prohibit us from from doing other types of uh, takedowns just for things we don't like or things that the the uh, that the company doesn't like? Um, I will say that you know. First, invoking the First Amendment um, is is kind of a, a sort of, uh, it doesn't exactly work as an argument because companies don't have to abide by the First Amendment. Companies are private corporations or, or public corporations that can basically set the rules themselves and um, decide what is or isn't acceptable on their platforms. And I think they, they have tried to do their best by threading needle, um, specifically when you define hate speech um, as something targeting or oppressing specific uh, ethnic groups, minority groups, uh, that's what they've really been homing in on as unacceptable on the platform. So I think there's you know a wide range of people who would disagree with taking down speech, but they're trying to at least narrow that view of what is unacceptable on the platform. Talking about removing hate and violent speech from social media platforms with Mike Isaac of the New York Times and Rachel Myro of KQED and a couple of tweets I want to read here. From Michael, who says, I think we want to know what the president is thinking, even if it is hateful, especially if it is hateful, because he is the president of all of us. Another listener says, note that free speech is a two-way street when it comes to Trump. He cannot block any other Twitter user, for example, because he uses it to conduct government business. And let me bring Jonathan on. Jonathan, join us. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I find it very interesting that this seems to be new to a lot of people. I first had the chance to vote as an 18 year old back in 2004. And I remember going on AOL and seeing all the hateful racist comments that people were spewing out there. And I responded to a few of those comments on AOL and my account got blocked. And the racist rhetoric was still there weeks and even months later to the point that I stopped using AOL altogether. Now, I don't know if that's gonna happen with today's social media because people are so hooked to it. They can't, they can't let it go, but I was happily able to let go of AOL back then. And I hope that these companies today finally, almost 2004, 16 years ago, I hope that today they finally start taking a stance against the type of rhetoric. Hi, right, Jonathan. Say, let me let your statement stand. And I thank you for it. Uh, I, want, I want to go back to you, Rachel Myro, with uh, a question about uh, all this concern about what goes on and what is uh, represented in the uh, social media. In the meantime, uh, there's an attorney general by the name of Bill Barr who has a great deal of power here who can keep social media politically from, uh, well, endangering the president. <laughs> well, you know, it, he has to use the court system, one presumes, and that's going to be a long process. It, it may not come soon enough for him and those that he defends. I, I think it is worth acknowledging, yeah, passionately expressed misinformation and hate speech has been a feature of American politics from the beginning of our nation's history, uh, and certainly it's been uh, on on social media sites uh, online from the beginning. Uh, but but it is interesting. I, th I think the pub public conversation has shifted. There's an awareness that there's a lot of money, uh, especially in the form of advertising dollars, attached 
to the traffic uh, that comes to these sites. And uh, mm -hmm. so another thing to consider is that these are private platforms. They're not public squares. We use them as public squares, but they're not public. They are private. And so it raises another question about how, how we want to hold these public squares accountable for the civility of speech. It's one thing to say, you know, uh, America will be ruined if we accept, uh, you know, the Democrats' uh, health care proposal, or, you know, America will be ruined if we uh, accept the Republicans' environmental proposal. That That's, you know, a level of civility, however you want to call it, uh, th that is very different from, you know, these people are killers and rapists and we need to run out in the streets with our guns and shoot them now, you know. Uh, that That's actionable hate speech that puts specific groups of people at risk. Well, I was just echoing a bit what you're saying, Rachel. Uh, Lakshmi tweets, uh, it's a private company, so they can't, so can't they take down who they want from their platform? And let me bring a caller on, and that's Mike from Fremont. Mike, join us. Welcome. You're on the air. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, I think one of the biggest problems is people can spew their hate speech, and they're anonymous a lot of times. And I think if, if they could do something about the anonymity online, you know, that's where people think they could do whatever they want because, you know, you don't know who they are. You can't catch them. They do all kinds of stuff online. But to me, that's one of the biggest problems is the anonymity. And well, people feel that they can just do whatever they want. Yeah, I thank you for that. Uh, and Mike Isaac, I'm going to go back to you because uh, you probably remember these discussions early on uh, when we were talking about the superhighway and all the rest of that. Anonymity mm -hmm. kept coming up and it's still coming up. I totally agree. I, I think that caller was right on and, and your caller before who was talking about AOL. I think a lot of the problems that we're facing today are just endemic to how the internet works, you know, if you if you get a lot of people, if you're able to uh, essentially aggregate and bring a lot of people online who have never really been online before, more people in the history of the world are online right now than have ever been, and also give them a veil of anonymity to express themselves. And uh, unlike, you know, the earlier days of the internet, all those people are now connected to each other through a giant network and able to sort of share these ideas inside of a, a specific place rather than scattered all across the internet, um, you face some real existential problems with, with how people operate, how people's views some, come up against each other, how people group up and decide to create stronger communities around some of the most odious topics that we, we deal with. And I think this is just, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be something that we continue to struggle with because these are problems that have not gone away ever since the internet was created. Again, Mike Isaac is technology reporter for the New York Times. And uh, let me go to you, Rachel Myro, with a comment from Michael and get your response. Michael writes, I would love to delete my Facebook account until they get their act together, but they also own WhatsApp and Instagram. They have a monopoly on the easiest ways to communicate within my social circle. I will tell you this, that when I took one week off from Facebook at the beginning of the month, I felt a lot more cheerful at the end of the week. We'll be taking a hiatus more often. But the point about Facebook's Domination, I think, is an important one. Rachel, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to get away from Facebook, uh, not just here in the U.S., but uh, all around the globe. Uh, and it's also worth pointing out that uh, one of uh, Zuckerberg's initiatives not too long ago was to talk about shifting more conversations, as he might call them, uh, to private platforms like Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp. Uh, and 
there are indications that there's a lot of hate speech going on uh, on those platforms, but it's much harder for journalists like Mike and myself to get at them uh, unless somebody lets us in. And that's also going to be true for regulators. How in the world are they going to know what's happening on these private platforms unless somebody leaks? Well, here's Don who writes, I don't use Twitter except as a source of watching the bizarre stuff that comes out of Trump. And Steve writes, Mark Zuckerberg's reluctance to not publish political ads is based on the principle that greed is good. This is true of all the other social media platforms as well. And we could get into a whole hour talking about Ivan Bosky's notion of greed is good or whether or not uh, the social media platforms are simply about avarice, but that we'll save that maybe for another day. Thank you, Rachel Myro. Always good to have you aboard. Thank you. And thank you, Mike Isaac. Glad to have you as well. Thank you. Super fun. Thanks again, Michael. And uh, another segment of Forum is up ahead. We're going to talk, if, if you have questions about unemployment claims and about 6 million Californians have filed, listen to the next segment. We'll try to get your questions answered and we'll talk about what's going on. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.